0: Welcome to the Go GoBundance podcast, the audio channel for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic lives. You know, the problem with most successful guys is they are awesome, yet at the same time, they suck. <laughs> they're too one-dimensional, like they have big, fat money, but also a big, fat gut, <laughs> or the opposite. They may look good as hell naked, but if you look in their savings account, they're as broke as a $3 watch. Some may have both muscle strength and financial strength, but they've been divorced five times and their kids don't even speak to them. Some have huge smiley family portraits in their foyer, but not a single friend that's honest and objective with them. Some may be gregarious as hell, surrounded by people and hugs galore, but their charitable giving is shameful. Come on, man. Really? That's all you gave back? I think you get my point by now. At GoBundance, we know we're not perfect, but our goal is to be better better multidimensionally in six simple categories. We call these our pillars. Number one, horizontal income. Number two, age-defying health. Number three, bucket list adventures. Number four, genuine contribution. Number five, authentic relationships. And number six, extreme accountability. So speaking of number six, let's dig into this week's interview with a GoBro, And you can tell me, Is he walking and talk or is he a false prophet?
1: (laughs) Hello and welcome to the GoBundance podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber, and today we welcome in a GoBundance brother, multifamily investor, syndicator, and well-known coach in our space, Michael Blanc. Welcome, Michael. Jamie, it's great to be here. Awesome, awesome to have you. I've been kind of waiting for this one. I'll admit I'm a fan a Bundan's brother of yours, but still, I'm really, really curious to hear a little bit more about you, your story, and some of the some of the specifics of your life. So, if you're ready, we'll dive right in. Let's do this. All right. Well, why don't we start with some backstory? Just kind of give us the uh, you know five, 10 minute version of you from the beginning to now.
2: Yeah, Pat, Hype knows two minutes a luck. I'm just so, thinking about that. So, thanks for giving a little bit, little bit more, though. I, like I won't more. be too, too long, but you'd like more. Yeah, you know, I, I've had a, I, you know. I followed the recipe, Jamie. like everybody says, get, go to school, get good grades and get a good job. I was never surrounded by any kind of entrepreneur as well. So I did that. You know, I did pretty well in, in school. Uh, I, it, they came easy to me. I got a job. I didn't know what to do. So I got into computer science. I'm pretty good with math, I guess. So I, I graduated computer science. And uh, and when I got out, I think it was in 92, the job market wasn't that great. So I went to grad school for two for two years, got a scholarship at College of William Mary and went there and uh, and then started programming. Uh, spent a couple of years at America Online back in the mid-90s and then late 90s, you know, with Silicon Valley was taking off. So I said, I need to get me some of that. So I joined a, a startup in Northern Virginia called Web Methods. And I uh, was a third employee there. And we were in the right place, right time. And within three years, we had $200 million in revenue and went public. It was at the time the most successful software IPO of its, of its time and put a bunch of money in my pocket, which was awesome. And then I just coasted probably from there to you know, 2005, all the fun people left and started own companies. And, you know, there's Michael still going to going to the job every single day. But my plan was to be the CEO of a software company. So I moved around a little bit. I spent a couple of years in marketing and then a year in sales as well. And then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2004. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm such an idiot. Like, it doesn't matter how much you have in your stock portfolio or whatever. It has. It matters how much passive income you have. And I had like basically none at all. And it, and I thought I was a pretty smart guy, you know, at the time, and I felt like I was literally such an idiot. So I was like, man, I went back and forth and you know, hemmed and hawed over this, and and, and like three months later, I, I came home to my wife and declared I had quit my job, and she goes, what? Don't you think you should have maybe consulted me with this? No, I am going to get myself some financial freedom. <laughs> wow, no, <laughs> so no discussion. I set out,
1: just just did it, no
2: discussion. Well, look, I had money in the bank. Yeah, I mean, if you have money in the bank, you can do whatever you want. So I came home and declared uh, that I'm going to get myself my financial freedom. So I, you know, I took a, a stock and option trading class. Uh, I hired a guy to help me flip houses. I actually went to an apartment building seminar back in the day. It was you know, kind of rudimentary, but I just wanted to get grand exposure to real estate. But my big idea was restaurants. And the reason for that was because I knew uh, some franchisees who were crushing it. And they're like, we're printing money. All you got to do is, is, is invest in you. Hire a guy who runs all these restaurants and, and you count your passive income. I'm like, this is great. That's exactly what I want. So I went all in though. I went all in. I, I bought myself a territory of a franchise and I went into the restaurant business while doing these other things on the side. And it worked for a good period of time. I was uh, in a state of semi-retirement for about two and a half years. You know, I met with my guy once a week and uh, flipped the house here and there and felt pretty good about myself, traveled. And then the recession hit. And the recession changed everything because as you know restaurants went down. This particular went down because it was a high-end pizza, you know, and mm-hmm. after the recession no one wanted to pay $25 for a very good for you delicious pizza. They wanted to pay 9.99, they wanted five toppings to go along with it. Yeah. And so the concept never adapted as a result our margins eroded until I actually literally started losing money. And I met with my guy and I was like, dude, I can't pay anymore. And as a result, I started running six restaurants. So every, every day, I'm driving to a restaurant almost 45 to an hour, uh, you know, to an hour away from my house. And I put my my energy into it, but I was try, like, trying to catch a falling knife and I couldn't change anything. You know, revenue still went down, expenses went up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm losing $10,000 a month, $15,000 a month. You know, I'm losing all my cash at this point. Again, to debt, right? Cash is gone. Luckily, I had, I had debt left over from the good old days when banks were giving you unsecured lines of credit. Meanwhile, I'm listing these things for sale, but no one wants to buy a restaurant in the recession that's losing money. So I'm, you know, after like 18 months of this, I finally sell the first one for pennies on the dollar cash, you know, fast close. And uh, I finally got out of it. And uh, while this is going on, I got into flipping houses because I flipped a couple, three houses back in the, before the recession did pretty good. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get back into real estate. And so I flipped houses and I started raising money. So we were buying two houses, probably a month. We flipped about three dozen houses over a course of two and a half years. And that's kind of when I remember my apartment building investing as one of my wholesalers brought me uh, a 12-unit apartment building in Washington, D.C. So I kind of sort of got into that a little bit on a side thing, and it was a complete nightmare. The first deal was like a nightmare. Finally, after about 15 months, it finally quieted down and stabilized, and I kind of forgot about it as I flip all my houses. And then one day I wake up and I go, Michael, you're kind of insane because you're going after passive income. And flipping houses, there's nothing passive about it. Yes, I have my team. I'm buying stuff sight on scene, but there's nothing passive. You know, I can't take 30 days off or 60 days off like I'm doing now when I want to. You got to be around there. And so I was like, man, I got to solve this. And I was like, why don't I just, instead of flipping them, why don't I just hold a portfolio? And I was like, man, if I want to make like $10,000 passive income, I need like 50 houses. And I was like, I just flipped three dozen. That's like that is insane to me. That isn't, an, and then meanwhile, I my apartment building's like sending me like a thousand dollars a month. I'm like, oh man, maybe I should just do more of that and less of this, you know. And that's kind of when I started to shift a little bit. And people were coming to me and they were asking me, How did you raise money for the house flips? how did you do the apartment building deal? You know, the guy at my local RIA asked me to speak on this thing, and I was just really surprised and amazed at the level of interest that people had in all these things. It was like, Well, I just did this and did that and then i finally started blogging about it and that's when i reached out to brandon turner at bigger pockets in 2014 i was a weekly blog contributor And, uh, people were asking me questions and everything changed from that point forward. You know, I, I put out my syndicate deal analyzer where people used to analyze deals with, and I've created a course and I continue to blog. And, you know, I really, what I learned late in life is I love to teach. I'm a natural teacher. And when I'm teaching, so when I figure something out, I love to talk about it. I'd like to create a step-by-step process on how to do it. And it really lit me up. And at the same time, I was generating deals and getting investors from this, from this activity. So I finally extricated myself out of the restaurants, barely by the skin of my teeth, and then started shifting into multifamily. And uh, here we are.
1: That's quite the story. That's a pretty impressive story. And there's a few things that jumped out at me. You, you've always had a mindset around being passive like the first thing you mentioned in your story was finding people. I went to this course and I learned how to do this with options trading. I, I uh, bought restaurants and hired a guy, right? And then this, the moment that you went into the real estate realm later, you immediately went to, okay, how do I make this completely passive? Where does that come from? Where, where, did, you, where did you learn this concept of passivity and, and how, do you, how do you bring people in like that? How do, you know, what are some tips or tricks that you use to, to find the right people to run your businesses for you?
2: Well, the idea really came from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like I said, I, I've never heard anything like it before. you know. And then you know, shortly after I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And I was like, I was, it was like you discover like another universe, like a parallel universe in which in one universe, passive income doesn't exist and the other one there is. And you're like, whoa, it's like Matrix, like seeing the numbers all of a sudden. You're like, what in the world? And I just became a student of passive income. The problem is I've really failed miserably at it. I pursued certain activities that either outright failed, or they generated income, but they weren't really passive. In other words, I wasn't really clear. It sounds like I'm a genius now, but it took me 10 years to figure this out, Jamie, that I, I wasn't clear about what I wanted. I thought I wanted to be a real estate investor, because that's what Robert talks about. But a house flipper or wholesaler is not actually someone that generates passive income. right? When you stop buying, fixing, and selling houses, your money stops. And so I, I, I thought... I wanted something, but I really wanted something. It took me a long time to figure that out. So I think a lot of people make this mistake. They think they want something, and then they run up the ladder of success. And then after several years, they get to the top and they look around and they realize that the ladder is up against the wrong wall. You know, that's kind of what I was. I, I got really good at flipping houses. You know, and so the passive income, the reason I like multifamily specifically, the same thing applies to mobile home parks and self-storage, is that you have the passivity built into it as a model. You have a, a professional Property manager. I mean, what other business can you hire a professional manager? Well, if I have a hair salon, yeah, I'm not hiring a professional management company to hire my hair salons. I'm, I'm going to do it myself. Even for mobile home parks, the people are very successful. You know, they self manage. You can't just hire your local professional manager and have them run your mobile home park. So I love that part of it. And that was a missing missing piece. If I could just outsource the entire thing to somebody else, that's the passivity I was looking for. But even having a team in place on the house looking side, I never got to that point. The only people who get to that point is who people who build up uh, a significant scale and those who also build a property management company at the same time. Those people um, have been able to figure it out, but they're few and far between. It's not really a model I would advocate. It takes way too long to get there. Makes sense.
3: What's up, everybody? This is Pat Hyben and Tim Rode, uh, founders of GoBundance and We wanted to give you a quick sneak peek of our August event coming up in Steamboat, Colorado.
4: Yeah, we've gotten a lot of uh, feedback that you'd love to see us kind of go back to the old ways. Want to see us do the one sheets, want to see go talks? more connecting at the event.
3: So we're committed this year and we promise, number one, all four elders are going to be there. Number two, it's going to be 50% on stage, 50% off stage, which means you know 50% of the time at least is going to be spent interacting with all the other members and some of the cool things that we got going for you on stage is of course as usual we're going to do the bull versus bear and we really really put our heads together and said what is something that's debatable and that one thing is retail so we are going to bull versus bear on the asset class retail real estate is that going to bomb or should you be buying into that
4: that's number one. We're going to be doing the ever popular 728 program with Aaron West, Daniel Del Real. We're going to have David Osborne leading three businesses through the gauntlet. The
3: gauntlet. And if you haven't seen the last gauntlet, the gauntlet is basically it's a shark tank. David's going to run the shark tank. He's going to be like the three shark tank judges all in one. Actually, what he's going to be is he's going to be like the 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 interactive guy and then the audience is going to be like the judges. So the three Shark Tank people will come and present at the gauntlet. Then they'll go into a soundproof booth. And everybody will rip them to shreds in the audience. So it'll be really, really cool and very engaging as to um, how people pick apart investment. And of course they're real investments so afterwards if you want to throw some money down on it you can too.
4: And then during the day of course we'll be getting the goods in the woods. We have all sorts of fun things lined up for you. Plenty of options to play hard, to uh, play light, however you play there will be a way for you to get it.
3: Yep. and something we're going to do that we haven't done before, we're going to have a very organized golf tournament. It's going to be a GoPod golf tournament, or if your GoPod is not there, then you can just pick a random foursome. We're also going to have an Ultimate Frisbee GoPod Challenge. So in your GoPod, you're going to go against other GoPods in a game of Ultimate Frisbee, and we're going to bracket it. We're going to have a huge prize at the end for the winner.
4: So here's the deal. Sign up. Come to Steamboat in August. Here's all the information on the screen. We look forward to seeing you there.
3: The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller, Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com.
1: You went through all of that, you lost the restaurants, you had to sell them for pennies on the dollar as as you mentioned, and then later got into real estate investing and started raising capital. Was there any challenge or what was the challenge, if any, in you know, sort of having this, I don't want to say you know this failure on your resume, but you know you had uh, your businesses kind of not your business anymore. Were those questions that came up from those you were raising capital from or did people sort of say, hey, we all went through something. It was a recession. We get it. We understand your integrity. Can you talk about maybe that pivot to capital raising now that you're out of one business and into another and how you did that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, they were happening concurrently. So the loss was happening while I was raising capital, and so I had actually not officially lost any money. I kind of pride myself of never having lost my investors any money on the real estate side, which is true. Mm. But I did lose money for my four investors on the p- on the restaurant side, and there was just the last the loss was absolute, and there was no, I mean, there was no way uh, to overcome that. The way I position it now is, it's almost a strength for me because. I am, I tell people that if someone has never lost money before, they don't know what it's like to be, to live under that kind of stress, that strain for long periods of time when things are not going well, because when you when your things are not going well and you're losing money and you're writing checks, it is a very stressful environment. And someone who's never been through that before may not be able to, fiz- to, to handle it emotionally. They may start, you know, they may start retreating or become depressed or they may run or they may make uh, uh, difficult decisions versus someone who's been through there and and have the ability to remain calm. Even though there's something bad going on right now, so I have since then positioned that when people have asked money, I said yes, I have, and let me tell you why it's made me a stronger person, and why you should look for operators who have lost money before. So I've kind of flipped it a little bit, and 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 it's it's probably true. It's probably true. And everything I've said, it doesn't take away how painful it was though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're right. You're battle worn,
1: right? You, you've gone through something. You're not just all, not all sunshine and roses. You know what it is to kind of go through those losses, the feeling and how to come back from it. So I think that's a great point, a, a great reframe of, of what that takes. You were, if I'm, if I have this calculator, right, you were in your thirties, I don't know yeah. if early to mid thirties, when you reread rich dad, poor dad, and kind of may have this epiphany around passive income. There are a lot of people that reach that point in life. They're in their 30s. Maybe they're, you know, either lacking fulfillment or they discover a way that they never understood to live. You said it. You weren't around entrepreneurs, right, growing up. And suddenly now you're in this world and you've learned about this passive income thing and you're taking action. Is there any advice you would give somebody listening that's maybe, you know, 34, 35, 36 years old who's understanding these concepts more recently who's kind of getting into the idea of building a passive income structure for themselves in a different way of living kind of what we do in go the horizontal income structure is there any advice you'd give to somebody who maybe feels a little bit hesitant about i, I I'm married I've got three kids I've got a mortgage I, I you know how do I all of a sudden pick up and slide over into this passive income realm I, I get it I love the concept but the action or putting it in action is the part I struggle with. Any advice you'd give that person?
2: Yeah, the first one is is a, a level of awareness. And I, I got to say, I probably drifted through the majority of my life up until that, that point. And um, I did not know I was an entrepreneur at heart. But when I read that book, it started, something started becoming more obvious. The things that I had done kind of unconsciously. The first one is raising a level of awareness. You know, what do you want in life and what don't you want in life? Like for me, my next path would have been to go into another software startup and software startups are a lot of work. You're working 60 plus hours. You know, you're working for less pay because you're getting equity, but the probability of a, of an exit, either an IPO or sale or are just remote for software startups. And I didn't want to spend another 10 years doing that. So to me, I was like, my, what am I going to do? And so, uh, so me, passive income was a way out. And in fact, you know, typically people in their mid thirties uh, are the ones who come to me for how do I get into this m- investing stuff for the same exact reason they've been working for 15, 20 years. And I'm like, I cannot see myself doing this for another 15, 20 years. I'm missing my kids, uh, uh, grow up and this is no longer acceptable to me. And when someone comes to the point where it's no longer acceptable to them, they start looking for solutions. And And that's the biggest thing is like, what is your, what is your, why really? Why do you want these things? You know, if you just want them, if you say your goal is to make another $10,000 and that's all there is, it's a pretty weak, why, why do you want to make $10,000 per month? And it better be more than about money. And it, Probably should be more than, than just about you as well. That was my fatal flaw in the restaurants. You know, I wanted a certain amount of passive income. It was purely financial. I had not really thought through why that's an important thing. I had no mission behind me. It was, a, it was yes, okay, fine. I, I was provide for my family. But really, I just wanted to be in a state of semi-retirement so I never have to work again. That's an awful reason. Awful reason. So what is your why, really? And what is the impact if you fail, right? If your impact that you fail is just go back to your job or nothing, nothing happens, it's not a very strong why. What I love about this business and multifamily specifically is that you can do it on the side, right? So someone thinking, hey, I want to I quit my, my law practice or, or my medical, whatever it is, you know, you do it on the side. It's something you can do on the side. It's very difficult to start any other business on the side. You can do it with this one here. And the barrier to entry into this particular startup is lower than almost any other business I can think of. For a variety of different reasons. Number one is financing is is plentiful and cheap, right? No other business can you get bank financing four percent non recourse. So you know, get trying to get that for a restaurant or a nightclub or a software company, like it just doesn't doesn't exist. Yeah. You know. Number two, I can like I said, I can hire a professional manager who has so much experience that they will easily you know make up for your lack of experience. And again, I can't find that any, anywhere else. Number three, I don't need a hundred person company to have a really meaningful company. We're, we're running a two, 20, 2,200 apartment building portfolio with you know, five people, you know, six people, right? So it's not a huge company that make a huge difference. So the, the level of complexity is a lot lower than almost any other company. Therefore, the, uh, this is open to a whole lot more people than who would otherwise would even consider doing a startup, right? The barrier to entry is a lot lower and you can do it on the side.
1: How do you find deals in this market? That's probably a question you get asked every day. But are the tried and true methods still what you would you would say are are working? Is it is it you know hitting the streets, networking with brokers, you know all of that stuff? But in your specific space, or if you're in a storage self storage or uh, uh, mobile home park business or whatever it is, do you have any any thoughts, advice in this market in particular? You know, kind of hot, expensive, low cap rate. How you find deal flow still?
2: Yeah. You know, in the house flipping days, it was all about direct marketing, right? It was around postcards, bandit signs, that kind of stuff. Maybe even SEO if you're, if you're advanced. Uh, mobile home parks, uh, because a lot of them are self managed, a lot of direct mail works really well. Uh, but that does not translate to multifamily. And I think the reason for that is uh, a lot of them are held by corporations with uh, layers of, corp- of gate- gatekeepers and multiple partners. So, really, the number one to find deals in this market, and it's been like this, it's been true like this for a long time, is through brokers. And what's happening? And this again—it's been. This is not a new thing. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, it doesn't really matter. It's all due to relationships with brokers. And you know, nearly half or over half of the deals really are off-market or semi-off-market deals that come directly from your relationship with brokers. Even if you get into a competitive situation where you're in a best and final, again, your relationship with your broker it can can make the difference. We've, we've acquired uh, assets, you know, $600,000 less than another buyer because our broker put a good word in for us. So the broker relationship is absolutely key. You know, when you become responsive to when someone, uh, a broker sends you a deal, you become responsive uh, and tell them why or why not the deal works for them. You uh, stay in touch with them. Maybe you send them a useful report every once in a while or blog post or a news, news article of some sort you hop on a plane and meet with them before you have a deal under contract, all those things sets you apart. And and the more they get to know what kind of deals you're looking for, the more they're going to call you when they get a deal like that because you know, they want to be as efficient as possible. If they don't have to... List a deal and and parade 20 buyers through there and do a best and final, which is a lot of work. And also, a lot of sellers don't want that either. They don't want to deal with 20 buyers. They want to say, Hey, I want you to find me a reliable buyer that can, that can, that's, and I want 10 million. I don't need 11 or 12. I need 10, but I need it quiet. I need it fast and reliable. Don't give me any kind of clowns who are going to retrade at me at the last minute. And the broker goes through, hmm, okay, this location, this kind of asset, this price point, oh, who do I call? And it may be you, right? And that's that's how it happens. It's been like that for a long time. And even to this day, that's how people are getting deals.
1: And on the broker, that makes perfect sense. Two last questions just based on some of the stuff that you talked about that I thought was really, really interesting and powerful. One is you talked about developing your mission or your why, and that being kind of the, the compelling reason for you to kind of take the action that you've taken. What I heard from you is that you... Are somebody and correct me if I'm wrong, who takes action and kind of figures things out along the way, which is what a lot of entrepreneurs do out there, right? You just sort of we call it ready, fire, aim in the uh, emerge and ascend groups. So, you know, is that your advice, or or how would you give counsel to somebody who's saying, yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. It can't be about the money. It can't be just about me. It's got to be a bigger reason. I just don't know what that is. Any tips or advice that you would give, or from your experience on how to develop that why, that compelling reason, that mission.
2: That's a very personal question. I think I, I can't tell you exactly how to do it. I just know it's very important to me. That was a fundamental shift from the restaurant days where it was really about me. It really was. And when I was thinking, what, what should my next phase of the, of my life be, it, it, I got the very strong sensation that I was to share my, you know, successes and failures and my misguided journey to financial freedom with other, with other people. And so therefore my mission is to help people become financially free to the end where, where we can make a difference together. It's very difficult to make a difference and live a life of significance if you're working 60 plus hours a day, you come home, put the kids to bed and you just, you know, you, you crash exhausted. And then on, on, the, on the weekends, you're doing, you know, you're doing errands and stuff like that. And, you know, how, how can you live a life of purpose, which may or may not generate income in an environment like that? It's very difficult. Uh, and you learn the people who develop financial freedom have now this, this freedom to think about what else is there in life and most of them gravitate towards serving other people in, in some way. Therefore, one person who becomes financially free can impact dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of people in some positive way. So financial freedom is a very leveraged state of being because it never ends there. And so that's really what's 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 driving me is I want to make sure that I reach more people who want to quit their jobs and they have real estate on their brain. I want to talk to them. Because most of them are thinking single family house investing of some sort and the truth is very, very, very few actually quit their jobs with it. And everybody else quietly does it with apartment buildings. And we have a way of doing it, even though you may not have any experience at all, and you may not have enough money to buy a building. And both of those are possible and they're possible within a very short period of time. So that's kind of when, when I started thinking about others in some way by blogging. Terrible business plan. I mean, you know, you, when you monetize a blog, three years, four years, maybe if your list is big enough. So the business plan kind of really sucked, but something shifted. You know, I had a similar conversation with Damian Lupo recently where he lost more money than I, I did, and he came to the same. He was first to the same conclusion, and when he came out of his, you know, his, his dark place Yeah, you know, he also came out with a mission and everything kind of changed from there. And and it wasn't the money that's driving. It's something else. Now, the money typically flows from afterwards just without even trying when you're serving people, but it cannot be the number one driver.
1: That was that was an excellent answer. I think you're right. Very personal, you know, for the individual. But I love your point about contribution being at the heart of that for you. And I think that's a great tip for, for all of us. So I appreciate you saying that. The, uh, the second thing was on your your uh, my last question before we kind of get into the into the one sheet portion It was around your take on entrepreneurship. you mentioned that you know you uh, you realized later that you actually were an entrepreneur and there's some discussion about are entrepreneurs made or are they born and all of that stuff uh, I guess the core of the question I'm asking is you know what are your thoughts on that? Was it that you became an entrepreneur you always were entrepreneurial can they be made are they born do can people become entrepreneurs or is it kind of a, a you know reserved for a certain you know, genome that you get when you're, born, when you're, when you come out of your mother's womb,
2: your thoughts, yeah, just your opinion. You may, you may be referring to Gino Wickman in his book, The Entrepreneurial Leap. I had him on the podcast and I had a very fun discussion with Gino, because he, he argues that entrepreneurs are born, not made. And I, 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 you know, enthusiastically disagreed with him. However, his definition of entrepreneur is a little bit different than my definition of entrepreneur. He, his definition of entrepreneur is you're building a hundred plus person business. And how are you wired to do that? I would say, my gosh, well, if you put it that way, you look at the characteristics in his book, you know, I was like, my gosh, you're right. Not everybody is wired like that. And can you acquire these traits? Hmm maybe not however the good news is that with real estate with multifamily or you know any any kind of real estate like that you don't need all of these attributes for the reasons i just mentioned it's a lot 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 easier to get into that business and we discussed this a little bit and he actually agreed that yeah gosh cuz he knew something about real estate cuz you're right you know the barrier entry to real estate is a lot lower than if you want to build a multimillion dollar you know uh, company built built on employees so you know can you i I, don't, I can't answer that question definitively. I haven't had the study that Gino has. All I can observe is that people who get into this business, who do their first deal, and then quit their job are from all over the place. They are, uh, on the one hand, analytical people. Maybe they're, 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 more, uh, they're engineers of some sort. They love numbers. They're detail-oriented, but they're more introverted. right? They're in the game. Then you have the more extroverted, you know, the networking people where the sight of a spreadsheet makes them break out on a cold sweat. Well, they somehow are in you know general partners in in these deals and it's because of the nature is is joint venturing in this business. It's very, very rare that you have one syndicator. Very rare. It used to be that case maybe 10 years ago, but right now it's typically two, at least two. And it usually breaks up in this way. Therefore, I don't need to be both the introvert detail oriented person and the extrovert capital raiser. No. I can focus on what I do well, which is numbers and detail oriented. I'm very organized, la 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 uh, but I need that someone, person that can talk to investors. That's okay. Let's put them together. And now I have a very powerful partnerships so and now both are in the game.
1: Great answer. No, I like that. It's a great point. If you're, if you're defining it in that way, that's a very specific skill set. I was actually talking to two guys yesterday who are partners and they're both very, very successful men. One is exactly what you described. He's like, I'm not building hundred person teams, but he can. So I partnered with him and he's building all the operational stuff and I'm out in front doing what he doesn't like doing, which is pressing the flesh and enjoying the, uh, the interactions and all that stuff. So great, great point. And that's a, a debate that's been out there for a bit. So very cool. All right. Well, we will dive into the one sheet. If you're ready, we'll go pillar by pillar and uh, just sort of break you down a bit. You ready to go? Let's break me down. Let's break you down. We're going to start with our first pillar around horizontal income. Let's talk about uh, you, know, you know, the number of lines of income you have. You mentioned 2,200 apartment units. You've got the coaching. But like Where is your income coming from? How many lines of business do you have right now that's bringing in income for you?
2: Yeah. I would say there's maybe three So there's the, um, and two of them are real estate related. And the first one is kind of the passive income of real estate. So I also invest in my own deals. And so that's pure, you know, class A real estate income. And then there's a class B shares, which is coming from the general partnership. So this is the carried interest you get from equity, the acquisition fees, et cetera. Uh, And and that is a little bit more active, um, though on on the investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity. So at this point, we have a pretty mature team there. Uh, with three partners and uh, three full-time employees, so I consider part of that as active income, and then the rest is the educational business, right? So the, the educational business, I'm both an officer, but I'm also an owner as well. So I count some of that as passive and some of it as as active. Uh, if I were to replace myself, for example, and I'm working on removing myself uh, you know, a little bit farther from day-to-day operations, introducing new voices and faces into the podcast and YouTube and things of that nature so that I can actually pull back a little bit, and it might take me a year or a little bit longer to, to do that. But once I do that, if I replace myself as a CEO, for example, then I, I should still be able to earn uh, the money from the business as a owner. And so I count that part of it as passive.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. In the real estate business in Nighthawk, are you how many hours a week do you think you're putting in right now? If you could even quantify that, maybe on an average. So you're a general partner, which kind of gives the active vibe, but it sounds like you've structured your team so that you can be somewhat passive, and they do a great job for you. So how much time do you actually have to put in right now as as a general partner in the in the real estate business?
2: It's it's it depends, but it, it's probably shockingly low. I'd say maybe five or six hours, unless I'm doing a site visit, which might take two days to do. Sure. Uh, but like I said, I have, I have two partners. I have a president, uh, and then I have um, someone who runs acquisitions. So he does a lot more. He's like my co-host, Garrett Lynch, and then Drew Niffin is our president. We have a full-time asset manager. We have a full-time investor relations person and a full-time construction manager. And then we have, uh, also have an assistant. So I, you know, I provide strategic direction. I also am really responsible for the promotion and marketing of Nighthawk using, using our platform. Um, so I guess if you count the podcast, maybe it's six hours a week, uh, gotcha. but really I got to make sure, sh- I got to make sure that, you know, our, our reputation is, you know, is, is intact and that people know about us and some of the marketing, maybe it's a little more than that. Some of the marketing overlaps, you know, if strict nighthawk, maybe five or six hours, but a good number of the marketing we do is aimed at uh, passive investors and educating them and bringing more of them in. So it might be a little bit more like 10 at, at the end of the day.
1: Makes sense. No, it's 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 excellent that you again you're trusting people, right? You 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 are yeah. a team builder. That's what I've gotten at least from the from the first part of this interview. You you know the first thought you have is who, not how. We always talk about that the the Ben Hardy uh, book that he put out. So you're always thinking in those terms. You got the right people in place to run things on the on the brand side of things. Uh, you mentioned you're bringing in new faces. You know new new. Uh, New content from other folks, other other content creators, how sensitive are you to the I mean you're the brand, right? so I mean how do you do that, I guess, or how sensitive do you have to be to to you know Okay, it's Michael Blanc, but it's not Michael Blanc all the time now. Is that a slow process or is it just sort of, hey, at some point, rip the, rip the carpet out and here's, here's some new
2: faces for you? For, for me, it's a slow process, right? I mean, I, it's been me for so long and people are used to me. My first exposure to this problem was when, uh, when, when I, I stopped to no longer coach people myself um, this was several years ago when we got a lot of great demand, you know, and, and that was great. I just, I didn't have the time to coach everybody. So I was like, my gosh, I got to bring in a coach. I got to hire someone. Well, how do I hire someone who follows my process, who's aligned with us philosophically, you know, and I finally found two of them who came, came on, on board, Brad Tasha, who, you know, is one of them and Drew Niffin, who's now uh, a president of Nighthawk. But in general, when you talk about bringing on any employee of of any strategic importance, including a podcast host or someone on YouTube or anyone like that, how do you align with them philosophically from a values perspective, right? So if my mission is is financial freedom for people, real estate, can I find someone who shares my passion, right? Because if they don't share my passion, you're going to sense that in the content that we put out. It's all of a sudden, it starts becoming about something else. That's a problem, right? So, and so, to answer your other question, it's a slow process for me. I, I watch people, you know, how do they behave? What do they say without me telling them what to say? Kind of naturally, sure. and and then I might tap them on the shoulder. Hey, you want to? You want to come on the podcast? Do you want to do a YouTube video together? And so it's a very slow process in that in yep. that way. You know, it's funny, a friend of
1: mine up in Canada, uh, now that you mentioned this, was talking about a study they did on a cereal brand up there. I- I'm going to butcher it, so apologies to my Canadian friends. Uh, call it uh, two characters named like Petey and Weedy or something like that, right? They were on a box and they were right in the middle of the box for years and years. And over time, they they moved that image of the two characters kind of smaller into the corner of the box. Nice. And then eventually they went to the side of the box and then eventually off the box. And the study was done to show how they progressively reduced... The image, the brand image, but maintained and actually increased revenue still because the brand was being built without the need for a central figure. So it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing.
2: I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So make it smaller and smaller, you know, and that's exactly right. And that's, that's, that's what we have to do slowly, but nevertheless intentionally.
1: Yeah. But to your point, it comes from a place of contribution and what you're doing is looking for, you know, like-minded, like-valued people that are going to bring great content to your team, to the people that that follow and the people that patronize your content, uh, I think that's smart. I think that just gives more voices to it. In fact, it's the ultimate in in uh, checking your ego because you could easily say, hey, it's me. It's got to be me. Only my voice matters. They need me. And it's like, you know what? No, they need alternative perspectives within the value system that I created. So kudos to you for that. That's amazing. So good luck as you make that more and more horizontal. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about your uh, age-defying health pillar. So, let's talk weight and body fat. You look like a pretty fit dude. What's your body weight and body fat percentage right now?
2: Yeah, so I weigh 185 pounds. If I use an, 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 if I use, and I'm six foot one, and if I use an online calculator, it shows that I have 24% body fat. Even though some people tell me that appears to be high, but I'm not, I'm not taking a, making a science project out of it. I'm just using an online calculator. Uh, though 24 is, is a single uh, percent below obese, apparently, according to this calculator. But I don't think I'm that. But I, that's what the calculator tells me. My, my GB9, the last time I did is 122. Okay. And my blood pressure is, is just, it's low. It always has been. It's 120 over 80. Uh, the reason I say the last time is because I, I did actually have a heart attack uh, about uh, almost a year ago july 28th right after i joined Cobundance, actually yeah, which remember. ruined my chances of going to the first uh, meeting yeah. unfortunately but you know i was not my doctor told me later that my probability of heart attack was 3.1 percent and um you know because my, my 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 blood pressure is nor, you know, low my head my resting heart rate a couple days ago was like 51 she goes man i said that's because i'm a performance athlete which I'm not. I mean I, I exercise but you know I have a low resting heart rate. My you know my cholesterol is is on the higher end of normal. It's not like low but yeah. not really a candidate. So I got I got those genetics from uh, from my father who had a heart attack when he was 48. But you know he also wasn't exercising and eating right at the time, right? And uh, so he gave me it was a, it was 100% blockage of the widowmaker, the main artery. And, uh, and so at the same time, while I got those genes, he also gave me the, the, the plan B, which was a fourth artery, which apparently only 1% of people on earth have, including my dad, because I asked him about it later. He goes, oh yeah, I remember something. There was some fourth artery. <laughs> nope. So, so that's, that saved me.
1: So yeah, it's, it's, this is my own like you know ignorance on this. So you're saying that the widowmaker, the artery, that if it's clogged, you're probably going to die, right? Yeah. If you have a yeah. heart attack. The only reason, so your father gifted you, quote unquote, with that, but also gifted you with a, with a workaround,
2: essentially. That's, that's right. Exactly. So the heart just, just started pumping more blood through the fourth artery. And, that's uh, So. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. That's, well, good.
1: Glad to hear it. Glad to hear of that uh, defect, if you will. That's uh, good for you. And I do remember when you had first joined, of course, I, I recognized the name. I'm in the multifamily space myself. I'm like, okay, I've I've heard the podcast and you mentioned Brad Tache is a common friend, Phil Capron, some other guys that I know you work with. Uh, and I saw the post very quickly after you joined, like, oh boy, I mean, I'm glad you're okay. But to your point, to look at you, you know, you're a fairly lean guy. You're tall, you're thin. You're not that, you're, you know, late forties, early fifties. You don't look like the kind of guy that would be a candidate for a heart attack. So, all of that is to say, I'm glad that you've recovered the way you have. Is there any any modifications you've made to diet? How is diet today? What does that look like?
2: Not really. I mean, I not really. I just take a bunch of medicine tablets right now, blood thinner, which make, gives me black and blue spots when I bump into things and my, my kids punch me. Hey, dad. You know, so I have black and blue spots all over myself, uh, but not really. I just have to make sure I have to continue taking these medications and continue exercising, which, which is what I'm doing and, and, and eating right, so. It it wasn't really an environmental thing. Um, That's what I'm being told, and and uh, yeah, and you know, I'm I'm sitting there laying in the hospital bed. I'm trying to figure out if I need to reevaluate my life. So I really thought about that a lot, and I just felt that I was already doing what I was supposed to be doing beforehand. I mean, I really, I I actually come out a changed person, right? I had a death experience. Something should change. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. And I was like, man, but but I but I I've gotten a lot more intentional over the last five to seven years. After realizing that I have been drifting through majority of my life, I've gotten a lot more intentional implementing a Miracle Morning, and really thinking about it and designing my life and kind of the way uh, I want it. So I just didn't feel like uh, I needed to make uh, any. You know, you're always improving. You're always looking for a better version of yourself. But I felt I was in the right place and I was already doing what I was called to being do. Uh, what was called to being called to do. So that's how I came out of that. Makes sense. Makes sense.
1: What does exercise look like now? What do you, do you focus on cardio? Do you do more, more weights, a little bit of both?
2: I work out uh, three times a week and uh, I do some, uh, some resistance training and then I do some cardio. I, I run or I'm on the rower or something like that. I, I get about 30 minutes in. I can do that reliably. If, if I go for an hour, I start looking for excuses to get out, to get out of it. Gotcha. Let's talk about your family a little bit, the authentic relationship pillar. So
1: married, you mentioned kids. Give us a little bit more about, uh, about your wife and kids.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my uh, four kids, they're 13 and 19, two boys, two girls. 13. So we used to, real quick, you said four kids? Yeah. Four kids. Yeah. My, 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 wife, my wife runs that side of the, the business. We, uh, we homeschool. When I say we, my wife does most of that, though I kind of own the uh, financial education part of it. Uh, but yeah, we've homeschooled our kids for probably eight, eight nine years now. Gotcha. You said the, uh age 13 and 19? 13 to 19. So oh, 13, roughly 13, 15, 17, 19. <laughs> gotcha. boys, I thought it girls. was two
1: sets of twins that you were, we were hiding in there or something. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Only yeah. twins. Just kind yeah, yeah, of you know, two, yeah, at two at sets of it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay.
1: So, uh, 13 to 19 and you mentioned your homeschooling. and that's interesting. And you've done that for, you said the
2: last eight years, what was that decision? Like, yeah. I'm kind of curious. It, it really came from my, from my wife. You know, she came home one day and she goes, oh, I just, I just ran into a homeschooling family. That was pretty interesting. And I just, you know, thought homeschoolers are, you know, these socially awkward people that they leave locked up in a, in a room somewhere. But when I finally uh, met some of them, what struck me was how they engaged with adults. Like they would come up and they would speak to adults and look in the eye and shake your hand. And I was like, what? And at that point I started paying a little more attention to it. And it was just, you know, my stereotype was all pure ignorance really. Cause homeschooling is, is amazing. Right. Uh, If you're a little slow learner, you spend more time until you learn it. If you're a faster learner, you get through it more and have some say over the curriculum. Right. And you can do it sitting by by your pool or under a tree or in your room. You can do it in the morning and do in the afternoon. So the flexibility really, it really what it does is it teaches you time management, uh, involves you in your own education and really develops a love for for learning, which school doesn't. It kind of beats it out of you like I'm going to read another book. I'm not reading a book and that the teachers make me read a book. So why would I read a book on my own? You know, and so homeschooling changes all that. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, we've, we've had a lot of debate. We have a, a,
1: a kindergartner and a three-year-old. And, you know, we've recently moved him into sort of an acting Academy, the older of the two, somewhere between homeschooling and traditional schooling. So we're trying to figure out the best way to move forward with education for them. So I'm always interested to hear how other guys uh, have sort of filtered that.
2: What's your life happiness index today? So it's an 8.8. Which, which sounds uh, pretty high, but I had a discussion with my GoPod a little while back where we kind of rated ourselves like 6.5 and la la la, you know, like uh, what's one category, song and dance or something like that. And I rated myself like a, a one or two because I don't sing or dance. And we had a discussion about, what, what okay, but how do you feel about that? Do you feel like there's a problem in your life? I'm like, no, I don't want to start to sing and dance. So we talked about it. We debated this for a long period of time. And we're like, well, if you're happy with something, then why don't you give yourself a 10? We're like, well, shoot! Then I'm rating myself song and dance ten because I'm happy with my inability to sing or dance. Mm-hmm. And so I redid re- the whole thing, and as a result, it uh, you know it changed. It changed a little bit, and so therefore the resulting thing is eight point eight. There's only a couple places I know you're gonna ask me about it. It's like, I what it? are my what are my low ones? <laughs> and one, I rated myself low under romance. We'll talk about that in a separate episode, Jamie. Yes. <laughs> and uh, also travel. And uh, travel is. <laughs> travel of course is an obvious one because our family loves to travel we had a round the world trip planned for last august 60 days i pre-recorded all my podcasts so i didn't have to record anyone's for 60 days it took a long time to get this done of course COVID changed that so so i rated myself a very low four on that one and romance only because i just think i need I, i can do better i can do better in that department you know and then i you know, I snap at my wife sometimes, or I cut her off when she's trying to tell me something because I'm, of course, busy. I'll sit because I work at home. She sits there and she walks up. She wants to share something, okay. and I'm like, "Why are you? T- why? Are you- how long is this going to take?" You know, and then that's the end of it. And it's like, and you do that because you're taking a person for granted. And I just, I just got to improve in that part of my life.
1: No, that's fair. I think we're all guilty of that to some extent. We all run into that moment of, you know, it's a great point taking somebody for granted, like your wife, like your kids or whatever. And sometimes, uh, hopefully, you know, you look up and it could be too late. So it's smart that you're thinking about that now. I, I, I do the same. I try to always be uh, mindful of that as I move through life. So uh, let's talk about genuine contribution. If you, you know, do you target a percentage to give or a specific amount or certain charities or certain areas that you like to specifically contribute? Just kind of give us an idea of your contribution philosophy.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I have, I have always tried to tithe. Right. And, and, uh, when I got into abundance, their definition of tithing was a little different because you have it as a percentage of total income. I had it basically of what I paid myself. Right. So you have total income and then you take some of that and you leave it in the business because you're going to invest with it. You're going to whatever, do it, anything, whether you let it sitting in, you sit at it, listen, what I paid my, like, in other words, how much of that was I using? So i So I felt pretty good with myself until I got into abundance. I was like, on it! I'm not giving enough. So I've been challenging myself to to give more. And you know, we, there's a couple things. You know, we give to our church, and my wife loves to host uh, teenagers, uh, orphans out of the Ukraine and Latvia. And uh, we've done that now three times. COVID kind of put a stop to that, but we're doing it again in the summer. So in the summer, we're gonna have um, we're gonna have a 13 year old with us from the Ukraine. And that's going to be kind of cool. So that's kind of her thing. She really enjoys that. I think she would probably adopt another ten kids if she could. I said, you know, four is pretty much all that we can handle right now. She disagrees. She'll probably eventually maybe win. So I might have more kids. Who knows? Uh, my passion is, <laughs> my passion is is um, is helping helping uh, a mission in Uganda. And the reason is because I met a guy twelve years ago. Unbelievable guy. His name is Ronald Kaluya. And he was a uh, like a bookkeeper by by trade, and he came over here and he wanted to get educated. He wanted to get a master's in the states so he can go back and help his people. And he was I looked him in the eye, and I, I could tell he was serious. And since then, he ten years ago went back and started this nonprofit, and he picked a such a remote part of Uganda where there's no running water, no medicine, n- no nothing. There's like permanent camping uh, over there. and And this is where he wanted to make a difference, where his mother grew up. And it's an unbelievably poor place. I mean, uh, and, and so we're really focused on on teaching people how to become self-sufficient there so that they can actually start bettering themselves because they're so, so far below the rung of poverty, they can't actually help themselves. They literally can't help themselves. And, you know, they don't also know there's a God out there who loves them. And so that's kind of an important thing to say as well. And so I've been supporting him. So I've been to Uganda twice, and uh, that's where the majority of, of what I contribute, you know, I, I gave away about $55,000 last year, which was, which was the most I've ever done. And this year, my goal is, uh, is 85000
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. And difference making. And again, it goes back to the why you talked about. You've got a strong why behind all of the things that you contribute to time, money, or energy. So love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, we're
2: going to jump over to extreme accountability. Who is in your GoPod currently? So, uh, we got Rick Hale, Jason Griggs, Jim Campbell, and Mark, you so it's a great, great group of guys. And, uh, there's a high degree of, um, of, uh, of accountability there. If someone misses or is late, they're going to not going to hear the end of that. So I'm, I'm enjoying that group of men. That's awesome. Yeah. One guy I know at least owns a ski mountain in there, which is always, <laughs> he does.
1: He really does. How often do you meet and what is the current discussion right now in the
2: group? Yeah, so we um we meet every other week. It used to be when I got on there, it was once a month, and you know I let it go for a couple of times, and now I'm basically taking control of the of the GoPod, and uh, so we're not meeting every other week. I I just didn't think there was enough continuity, uh, and the guys agreed. So every other week is, seems to be a good compromise, and uh, we have discussed a variety of things. You know, Rick's writing a writing a book, and uh, uh, you know we talked about succession planning in our companies and estate planning. How do we set our you know, families up for generational wealth? And it's not just about setting up trusts. It's how do you educate How do you talk to kids about money? How do you educate them about money? How do you uh, empower them to make mistakes? And so that they're, uh, they're able to become stewards of this money, right? Because you know, lottery winners, you know, they basically lose everything in about 18 months. Yeah. And how do we prevent that from two or three generations from now, the wealth that we're creating is all gone. How do we, how do we, how, what do we do to ensure that it stays there and yes, supports the family, but how do we then use that to make a difference in the world? So that's, that's a pretty cool topic. That's, um, that, you know, I'm interested in as well. That's a great use of a community like that. Your GoPod guys that are playing at that level and
1: thinking in the yeah. same way. So that's really cool to hear. Uh, what is your biggest business and personal goal over the next 12 months?
2: So, uh, my personal goal is to get that, um, is to get that round the world trip rescheduled again. Oh, man. Now, the trick is finding the energy to do that, because it took so much energy to do, to do that. And it took energy to unwind it all. Okay. That's my, my, my biggest personal goal. And then my biggest uh, business goal is to hire an integrator, or whatever you call that person, a CEO, a president, you know, someone who can, tr- who can take over the, the large parts of the operations of the educational side of the business. I like it. That's amazing. Yeah. And we talk a lot about that, that
1: who we talked about it before. And yeah. it sounds like, again, from your, at least what I hear of your story, that's sort of a skill you have. So I'm sure you'll have, you'll have no issue finding the right person in that regard. I, I have confidence in you for whatever that's worth. <laughs> what is uh let's talk about bucket list adventures. You talked about this upcoming round the world trip. Uh, have you been to a GoBundance trip yet? Sounds like no. Or are you planning to go
2: to one uh, soon? Yeah. So I've, I've been to the uh, gold pod a gold abundance trip you know the one for the 50 and over and since i just turned 50 in january i i was the youngest guy there but nevertheless i was there and a couple of guys in the go pod were there so i really enjoyed that and i do plan on being in um in steamboat as well very nice i'll see you there that'll be great what be are awesome. your what other future greatest hits do you have besides the round the world trip anything else you want to highlight yeah Steamboat's one of them our our annual conference is, is called Maker Live. It's in Dallas, July 16 to 17. So that's a, that's a highlight. Really looking forward to that. And it'll be in person. It's going to have a live stream component as well. So it's going to be doggone complicated and expensive to pull off, but it's going to be awesome. And then I will spend uh, uh, nine, 10 days with the real estate guys in Belize in a couple of weeks. So those are my my upcoming uh, highlights, which are, all, of course, all related around travel. So uh, only one of them, though, is going to, well, two of them are going to be my kids, my family, because there'll be a DealMaker Live, and I'm trying to get them to join me uh, to the go bundle, the fan buns and stuff that, that we're doing there. So I'm still working on that. I like it. Let me ask you this before we go to our final question from the
1: park card game. You're you're connected to a lot of people in your space. You mentioned the real estate guys and other other groups. I mean, you're again you're 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 well known in the multifamily space, and I'm sure are part of m- many communities. What drew you to GoBundance? Why join GoBundance? I'm just kind of curious what your take was on
4: that.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of great organizations out there that I looked at. I think um, I I resonate with the people that I spoke to. It's about you know a holistic approach to success in life. It's not one size. It's not financial or business. It's you know it's, it's your all your your pillars that you have. I thought that was really cool. Uh, and then that you have you know you have programming for for the for the family, for the wives, and and for the kids. You know the kids sometimes. They have to, sometimes have a hard time finding friends. It's a bit like you know I have trouble finding friends because you know your neighbor isn't necessarily going to be going to be the person that you want to hang out with, right? Because there's certain things you want to talk about. I want to talk about estate planning, generational wealth. I don't necessarily want to talk about sports or politics or your kitchen remodel, right? No offense, but you know that's not what I'm looking for. And so sure. it's hard sometimes to find people who are thinking differently from you are. And so I really wanted to expose my entire family to to everything. And so you have programming for everybody, and I I love that. So.
1: I really resonated with, uh, with what you guys are doing. Yeah, no, it's great to have you in the tribe, man. Love having you in here. So, all right, let's go to our GoBundance card game question. And uh, just to let you know, I did change it from the one previously because you kind of answered it already. So I quickly thumbed through and generated a new one here. And I like this question. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by it?
2: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> really popular now. This is a dumper. This is a tough one. I don't know. Trends really come and go, you know. I I don't know. You struggle I, well, a
1: lot. I can come up with one. I,
2: think. I mean, yeah, I got a couple. You know, like 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 torn jeans. Like I, that was probably like five years ago. Like I'm probably embarrassed now. Like I, I was embarrassed back back then. Uh, I'd like to hear yours. The only thing I can think of is, you know, there's a lot of thing about, you know, adjusting for COVID related stuff, a lot of opportunities that come around COVID and people are adjusting their, their investing strategy or their, their, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, what if it comes back and like, well, it's coming back now now what's going to happen to your investing strategy. Right. But being embarrassed by it, I don't know, Jamie, what do you got?
1: The only thing you kind of were in my genre there a moment ago, I think mom jeans. <laughs> <laughs> that's like this thing now, women like you know 17, 22 23 year old girls are wearing these mom jeans, and i, I don't I don't get the fashion. it's like a bag I
2: whatever that's just me. Whatever. What about stretchy jeans? Are those still in because I love stretchy jeans, but I discover them like ten years late, and I discover you know like, man, they're great, I did too. I like them too. I, if they're out, then I'm out, but
1: uh, and I'm sure people are laughing <laughs> as I walk by but um <laughs> But yeah, that's a good point. Anything clothing related has to be in there somehow, some way. There's probably some hairdos nowadays, like mine, that are going to be embarrassing in five years if they're not already embarrassing. So we'll see. Who knows? But <laughs> Michael, where can people
2: learn more about you or find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, the podcast is the Department of Building Investing Podcast. We're actually going to call it the, the the title of this book, which is Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's an Amazon bestseller people are interested in, in even entertaining the idea of multifamily investing what it's entailed to get in there. Uh, that book is is a great segue into that and you know, and as well as the podcast the and you can just Google my name and'll you'll, you'll find it. we have a YouTube channel, we have a podcast we have, have a book, uh, we have a blog and then we have uh, you know online courses and coaching and uh, and live events so, if you're interested in getting into multifamily, either as an active investor or a passive investor, we have resources uh, for for both types of people who want to get into multifamily.
1: Yeah. When I started in multifamily, one of the resources I used was your podcast and a lot of the content that you put out there. I know you have summits and everything else. So personally, I can attest to the quality of what you put out and say thank you to you uh, for, for putting out what you do, because it was one of the things that helped me inspire me to get into, into that passive income realm as you, uh, as you coached you. So Appreciate you. Thanks for coming on today. And uh, yeah, I'll see you in Steamboat, I guess.
2: Yeah, looking forward to it, team. Thanks for, ha- for having me on the show. Of course. Thank you.
3: The wrong tribe confounds. The right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller, Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy! Oi, oi, oi! They all the most real, uh, you croaky Go-Bundance Well, the Aussies won't have us, but the Ecuadorians are saying, come on, win it, go Grab life, big, at the Galapagos Islands and Ecuador! September 13th through September 23, we fly into Quito and immediately ship off to the Hot Springs Resort where you can put one foot in the Northern Hemisphere and one foot in the Southern Hemisphere at the same time. Selfie! Day two, we travel to the Amazon jungle and go straight into it with some epic Class 4 whitewater rafting. That night, we stay at stunning Hamadrati Jungle Lodge. Then, we travel downriver to a remote indigenous village for our give back project. There we'll be giving to a village of indigenous Ecuadorians who so need our help in rebuilding their community. And of course, we will be bringing hundreds of GoBundance Frisbees to teach the kids the game of Ultimate Frisbee. Later that day, we'll be welcomed into the same community and thankful for our efforts, and we stay with the tribe. We say adios to our newfound friends and travel back up river and onward by road from the jungle back into the mountains. This afternoon, we'll reach Banyos, a small town situated in a valley at the base of an active volcano, then we'll head to nearby San Martin Canyon for a bunch of cool activities like ziplining, walking across a high, high, high suspension bridge, Via Ferrata, whatever the hell that is, and a canopy jump into the Rio Pastraza, sort of like. 12 shots of B12 right here! Day five, from Baños, higher to the Andes towards Cota Now, we're gonna break into two groups. Each group is gonna do something on this amazing mountain or volcano. You will have your choice choice one we're gonna wake up at midnight and summit that sucker so we are there at the sunrise now the summit is nineteen thousand three hundred forty seven feet no joke I highly recommend you train hard for this be ready for this because nineteen three forty seven is no joke we'll have another group head to Hacienda La Aligra a family-owned horse farm located in the panoramic volcano valley. We're gonna do some horseback riding and then do an epic mountain bike ride. You don't have to decide till you get there. It's gonna be absolutely epic either way. We'll all return to Quito. It's time for aspiring adventures, epic, amazing race. What a way to see Quito, Ecuador! Then we fly out of Quito to the Galapagos Islands. There we stay at the famous Finch Bay Eco Hotel for three nights in a row. And this afternoon, we're going to go wander and check out some of the weird and wonderful wildlife. We're going to do some scuba diving, snorkeling in the pristine waters of the Galapagos. Pocket list! Then on day 10, we are going deep sea fishing. This will be a day of epic nautical bombastia. And we fly out of the Galapagos refreshed, re-energized, and with a soul that is majorly fulfilled. Ecuador is bound to be one of Abundance's most epic international adventures yet. And I hope to see you there. Go Ecuador!
0: Thank you for tuning in to the GoBundance podcast. We hope to see you at a live event in the near future. If you're new to us, here's a quick explanation of our programs. Number one, Emerge a web-based journey for millionaires-to-be. Number two, Ascend, an interactive mastermind, the next stage of our journey. Number three, GoBundance Elite, the original tribe of millionaires. Number four, GoBundance Champions, 5 million net worth and above. Number five, GoBundance Women, a tribe of amazing, badass women. For detailed information on all five of these, simply find us at GoBundance.com. Until then, grab life big.